In a moment, we'll be uh, reading from Philippians 4, uh, 10 through 23. But for those who are joining us for the first time, or maybe your guests with us today, or, we've been going through a series that's titled Walking by Faith. And we've been learning different topics uh, and hearing scriptures take on these topics. And this morning we learn about a topic called, and it's a bit of a longer phrase, generating and sustaining creative tension. Generating and creating or rather, generating and sustaining creative tension. Now, if you notice the phrase there, the one of the phrases, we could just keep it shortened a little bit, generating creative tension. And you would think that in churches that there's enough tension already. I mean, it's just normal in, in relationships, in churches, in any organization, there's always tension. But what this is talking about is creative tension, healthy tension. Creative tension is tension that is designed to spark energy and enthusiasm to embark on a journey of seeking what is God's preferred future, His will. So now, I think it's easy to say that generating tension is just easy. But generating healthy tension becomes more difficult. Now, throughout Scripture, there's many instances where Jesus and the apostles generate creative, healthy tension among God's people. And there is such a thing as healthy tension, anxiety, or whatever you want to call it. When attention is created in a healthy way, change occurs. And it's important that change occurs among God's people because it's biblical, because God desires transformation of his people. Sanctification, for example, that is becoming more and more holy. Sanctification is the Holy Spirit's work in us. As we journey through life as a follower of Jesus, we don't stay the same. God, through his Holy Spirit, is sanctifying us. And creative or healthy tension is something that will get us to where we currently are, to where God desires us to be. As individuals, and because individuals make up a church, also as a church. So typically, there has to be tension to make us want to move in a certain direction that God desires. So the passage this morning from Philippians is not specifically a passage that speaks about generating and sustaining creative tension. Rather, it's a passage that actually generates creative tension among us. And so today, the passage is on financial giving and it hopefully generates creative tension among God's people so that we reflect on what is our present reality of where we are and discern where God is leading us toward his desired future, his will. So let us read from Philippians 4, 10 to 23. And before we do, let's uh, come to God in prayer. God Almighty, we thank you that you are present with us, that you are here before us, that you are with us always. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we go through your word and as your word is proclaimed, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will open our hearts and minds to perhaps generating a creative tension among us so that we will understand where it is. First of all, what is your will? And where are we right now? And how do we get there? So, Lord, we want to seek you. We want to seek what your will is and your desires are. So may we do that this morning and be challenged through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
So Philippians 4. Starting at verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough, and I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now we may wonder why Paul saves this for his last topic in the book of Philippians. Perhaps Paul didn't want to start his letter off with the topic of giving for the fear that there would be the criticism that there it goes again. The church is always asking for money. Giving of our offerings is sometimes a topic that generates tension for churches. But again, trusting that the tension that it generates is healthy and challenges us to move from our present reality where we are today to what God desires for his people, God's will. Throughout this past year, I've heard different comments about giving. And some comments have been that I believe I am offering my financial gifts according to what God desires out of thankfulness and generosity. The principle from 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. Praise God if you're doing that. Others have commented that, well, I I just give what I've always given, and I've never really given it too much thought or prayer to it. Well, it's good to start. And still others have said that, I'm just not giving. And we can wonder why. Perhaps you feel you can't. Or in other instances, you just don't want to, because some are using their offerings as a weapon. To hurt the church. Whatever category you may fall into, may God's Spirit generate a healthy tension among you today to challenge each of us to reflect on our giving pattern and, more importantly, God's pattern for His followers. So, talking about money is biblical. And when you read this passage, The Philippian folks love to share their money with the church. So perhaps a financial theme is fitting to end this letter to the church. I want to share some older, they're somewhat older statistics, and I think they're still relevant for today's purpose. Recall in January 2010, seven years ago, over seven years ago, Haiti was struck with a horrific earthquake. In six months, and these are U.S. statistics, in six months, U.S. relief organizations were able to raise $1.3 billion for Haiti 
And that's amazing. But listen to another shocking statistic. Later that same year, seven years ago this fall, the fall of 2010, a new video game hit the markets, and I'm sure some of you are able to tell me what video game it is, was Call of Duty 2, Black Ops. This game raked in a record $360 million in its first 24 hours of market exposure. Now, to put that in perspective, at that rate, it would only have taken four days of video sales to equal six months of amazing fundraising for Haiti. Five years later, the fall of 2015, what came out was Call of Duty 3. Made $550 million in the first weekend. So you see, many of us are giving. We are giving, but what is it that we're giving to? So it's a good practice to look over our checkbooks or online bank statements or visa statements once in a while and just be reminded of a good summary of our lifestyle choices. We're likely in full support of giving to entertainment, to education, to recreation, to retirement, maybe even specific favorite charitable organizations and and even Christian education tuition. But where does the church fit into all of this? So let's take a few moments to look at what giving is according to Paul's letter that we read from the Philippians. Philippians 4. In this letter, we can read that giving is partnering together. Giving is seeing God blessing his people, and giving is part of our worship to God. So giving is partnering together. Giving is seeing God bless his people, and giving is worshiping God. So let's talk about giving is partnering together. It's about a partnership with you, with God, and his kingdom work. Earlier in the letter, Philippians 1, 3-5, Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And in today's part of the letter in, in Philippians 4, Paul again reflects on that partnership. Verses 10 to 15 reflects on the Philippians' concern for Paul while he was in prison. Paul states that he's learned to be content in whatever the circumstances and that his needs would have been provided for because he's learned the secret of being content. Verse 14, Paul states, Yet it was good of you to share. And this word share can also be looked at as partner in my troubles. He goes on in verse 15, Not one church shared or partnered with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. And he thanks the Philippian church for sharing, for partnering with him. The Philippians partnered with Paul. They contributed their finances to the church in order that the church could support the advancing of the gospel message of Jesus Christ through Paul. When we contribute our gifts to the church, we share in the partnership of the church. It means that we're involved in the discipleship discipleship ministries of the church. Discipleship ministries within the church and beyond the church walls. And we're called, all called to actively participate in various ministries in the church, using our spiritual gifts and giving our time. But we can't possibly be active in all the ministries. But when we offer our financial gifts, we can be a partner with every single ministry in the church. We partner as a church, and our partnership extends 
beyond the church. When we offer our gifts, our financial gifts to the church, we have an investment in the ministry. We have a tie to the ministry. We have a partnership in the full body of Christ. And I think it's fair to say that not all of us will agree with all the partnerships of the church. Maybe we personally would not support something that the church supports. And that's okay. That's the diversity of the church. Diversity is okay. And what we may not agree on, well, if the church still agrees on it, that will only teach us grace and patience. And that's unity. And that is what we must strive for. We don't always have to agree, but we do always have to partner with the church. The people of Philippi partnered with one another in order that the church could partner with Paul. And maybe not everybody, everyone liked the church partnering with Paul, but you still partner with the church. Because that's what they're called to do. That's what we're called to do. Giving is about partnering together, advancing the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And as they partnered together, both Paul and the Philippians were able to see the blessings of the partnership. So the first point was giving is our partnership with God and with one another and with his kingdom work. The second point is seeing the blessings of the partnership. Giving is about seeing God at work blessing his people. Now, I think it's obvious that our giving will bless the receiver. With our giving, God blesses the receiver and the receiver's ministry. But look at verse 17, where Paul states, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Let's look at this for a minute. The word desire actually can be translated as what I have my heart set on. So what I have, not that I have my heart set on your gifts, what I have my heart set on is that more can be credited to your account. So Paul, and this is literally rather translated, the, the latter part of the sentence is literally translated, credited to their account is how their fruit or produce will be increased. Last week, we read from John 15, stating that Jesus is the true vine, that we are the branches, and that he will prune the branches so more fruit will be produced and increased. So perhaps that includes Jesus pruning our financial branches, so to speak, so that our fruit will be increased. Paul's heart is set on seeing the fruit the blessings being increased on account of the church's giving. Now, this is not assuming that if you give generously, that your bank account will increase by equally or double generously. When you give generously, God will generously bless you in ways that we could not even expect. Your fruit will increase, not necessarily financial fruit. In a letter to the Corinthian church, Paul uses the analogy of farming. When he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap it sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Sow a lot of seed, much fruit will be produced. It's a common analogy. 
And this comes from the Old Testament preaching in Malachi 3, verses 9-12, where God says to his people of Israel, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. And then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord God Almighty. Paul is excited to see how God will bless the Philippian church on account of their giving. How God will increase their fruits and how others around them will see this and praise God. J.L. Kraft, head of the Kraft Cheese Corporation, who had given approximately 25% of his enormous income to Christian causes for many years, said, the only investment I ever made which is paid consistently increasing dividends, is the money I've given to the Lord. Again, it doesn't mean that these dividends or blessings will be financial. Perhaps those dividends will come in the term, in the form rather, of a good conscience, assurance of salvation, enriched fellowship with believers, a broadened outlook in the needs and interests of the church universal, increased joy and love, relationships and partnerships with people. When you give up your money for the body of Christ, when you offer your financial gifts, you as the giver will be blessed. Acts 20, 35, Jesus himself says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. We know, again, we know the receivers will be blessed. And yet scripture says that it's more blessed to give than to receive. The givers of the gift are the primary beneficiaries of the blessings. So people, let God bless you. Think about it for a moment. For those of you who give, and then you take a step further, and you give a little more, you can probably affirm the blessings you receive from God. And it's disappointing to know that some people choose to give nothing or choose to give less than what God calls us to give. And the reason that it's disappointing is not that the church didn't get the money then, but when you don't give or you don't give generously, you miss out on receiving the Lord's blessings. And it's sad to know that people are missing out on spiritual blessings. Again, don't get this passage wrong. It's not suggesting for people to give in order that you receive, but it is impossible to give from the heart and not be blessed by God. Giving what God desires allows God to bless his people. Finally, our giving is about worship. In verse 18, Paul refers to the gifts as a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Giving is surrendering our control to God. It's surrendering our finances to the Lord. Giving is an offering to the Lord. It's an action and a response from a follower of Christ. It's worship. I've often, used, I've often tried to use proper language when referring to our giving. And you may notice that I will often not use the word collection. It was mentioned to me one time that garbage is collected and gifts are offered. And yes, the deacons do collect our money. That is the deacons' response in worship. They collect. 
But the time in worship, which is called our offerings, that's a little different. Because the deacons have their role, they're collecting, but our role is nothing about collecting. Our role in that part of worship is offering. The action is that we offer our money. We offer up and surrender our gifts to the Lord. We release some of our control, our finances, and increase our trust in the Lord. God desires a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. What is an acceptable sacrifice? I think in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, Paul states, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is an obedient response. And yet, unfortunately, in instances, it's used as a weapon. Giving is not about whether you agree with the direction of the church or not. It's not about whether you like the pastor or not, or even like the worship or not. Giving is not optional. And if you're using your giving as a weapon, you're only fighting against God, and I would suggest that you probably shouldn't do that. Giving's a command. It's a response to God working in our lives. And it's part of our worship to God. And God commands us to worship Him, And we do that with all our heart, soul, and mind. We do that with our prayers. We do that with our songs. We do that with our listening. We do that with our attitude. We do that with our offerings. Earlier in Philippians 2 verse 5, Paul encourages people to imitate Jesus. We imitate Jesus through our giving. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son, and we should want to give because of God's example who gave to us. God gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus gave up his life so that we don't have to. Jesus died on the cross so that our sins will be forgiven, and through our faith in him, we will have salvation, and we can already live with God's blessings today. And when we are being disobedient with our offerings, yes, our God can forgive us for that, those sins. And he calls us to repent. He calls us to change from where we are today to what he wants us to be. And our offerings are an indication of how we see God and how we, and how we imitate Jesus. So do we worship God with our offerings? Do we see God worthy of our offerings? Do we recognize what God has done for us through His Son and through the power of the Holy Spirit in us? He has given us salvation, but He's also given us so much more and so many practical things. Education, employment, family, friends, finances. And you can list your own set of blessings. And maybe you should with your family. And maybe some are finding it difficult to see the blessings at times. But we all have hope in Christ. As a church body, we have the opportunity to worship God through the giving of our financial gifts. And God gives us His grace. And we must respond in grace and freedom with no reluctance, not under compulsion. You can't be told what to give. What we choose to give is how we choose to respond to God's grace. What we give to His kingdom through the church is an indication of how worthy we see God. So worship God with your offerings. Surrender a fragrant offering to God and watch God bless and enjoy the blessing of being a partner in his kingdom.
God's not concerned so much with our church budgets. In fact, as far as I know, Scripture doesn't even mention the word budget. He's concerned with our hearts. We're all challenged to offer our gifts to God from the heart. And there are some that are on fixed incomes, and your offerings can't change too much. You've been giving what God has called you to give from the heart. Praise God. There's others of us, and I would include myself and my family in that category, that we need to be challenged and reminded to reflect on our giving and to prayerfully considering if this is what God is calling us to do from the heart. I've said it before, if you give because you're feeling guilty, don't give. But if you give because you're feeling gratitude for all that God has graced and blessed you with, then give from the heart and be challenged to give more if that is what God's calling you to as a response to His love and to His grace. So may God's Spirit generate a creative tension in our lives as we strive to more and more walk by faith in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you bless us with so much. You bless us with gifts of finances and possessions, and you bless us with the greatest gift through your Son, Jesus Christ. And you desire for us to bless others with our finances, and in doing so, you will continue to bless us. So Lord, help us to want to bless others, not so that we will be blessed, but just because that's what you ask of us. Forgive us for when we are not obedient to your will. Forgive us for using our finances as weapons or control. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, work in each of us to be obedient to you and to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.